Desmond Tutu once said, do your bit of good where you are. It's those bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. This is Haley, and you're listening to the Bits of Good podcast, where I talk to citizens, nonprofits, and ethical businesses about the bits of good that they're doing and how we can join them in that. The stories that inspire me the most are when we see that sort of growth in a person's sense of agency and, you know, to use the cliche term empowerment. The word amandla in Kosa, uh, one of our local languages, actually means power. It, it means to be empowered. And during the struggle against apartheid in this tradition of call and response, somebody would say amandla, and then the crowd would respond awetu, which means the power is ours. And so that's why we've chosen the name we have, Amandla Development, because we want to see people embracing that power. On this week's episode, I got the chance to talk to Scott Clark from Mandela Development. My name is Scott Clark. I'm the executive director of Amanda Development, a nonprofit operating in Philippi Township, just outside of Cape Town, South Africa. Amanda Development, we work in just the one township because we're really trying to make sure that every single child is surrounded by the full support they need to stay in school, complete their schooling, and become employable and active citizens. So what we mean by that is, you know, as we look at our schooling system here in South Africa, and as we think about the quality issues we have, possibly a bigger issue is the fact that almost half the students, and in some cases, like in Philippi, more than half the students drop out before actually graduating. So you can make all the quality improvements to education you want if half your students aren't even getting to the finish line, you're definitely failing, um, and you're creating a huge social problem over time. So what we've recognized is that poverty is the biggest factor um, or the, the many factors that come with poverty are what are driving these kids out of school. So lack of access to healthcare, um, lack of parental support, um, lack of job opportunities that make it seem like, you know, why even bother uh, continuing with school, gang violence in the community, hunger and so on. And so what we're trying to do, what we're aiming to do is surround these kids with all of those supports to help them stay in school, to help them see the point, gain that vision, you know, that their education is actually vital to their ultimate success. So what Amandla does within that is we have coordinated a network of other organizations, government departments, and all of the schools. Because as you can hear from what we're talking about, that's a massive job, right? Um, No one organization is going to be able to do it all. And so we bring all of these other organizations and government departments and schools together to agree on what our common vision for our young people is. And in the case of Philippi, we've stated, you know, the community has stated we want our kids to finish school. We want them to be employable. Um, You know, dropping out of school leaves you without the skills and the knowledge to actually get a job. Uh, And then they've added to that that they want them to be active citizens, meaning they don't just want them to grow up, finish high school and leave the community. You know, they want them giving back. They want them pouring into Philippi, creating jobs there, being role models, making it a place that, you know, people would want to live afterwards. So we help our organizations drive that vision and create holistic projects, programs uh, that are going to make sure those supports are, are available. Scott said they got started by spending 18 months consulting and researching. We actually, I started out in a conversation with the education department, you know, sort of this is the big idea. How can we support these kids to stay in school? Where do you think we should do it? And they gave us five communities that they said, you know, we would prioritize these, go out, have the conversation. 
And within about three, four months of that, you know, it became pretty clear that Philippi was going to be the one because quite honestly, they wanted it the most. And this model doesn't work if the, all those organizations and stakeholders and parents aren't involved directly in driving it. Because we see ourselves as coordinators, not drivers. You know, we don't develop the projects. We help the community members put them together, working, you know, hand in hand with government and policymakers and other nonprofits. Um, so we see ourselves as facilitators, as coordinators, providing the information and the data and, you know, sort of the access to the right people and hopefully funding. But we ourselves don't, you know, pop into a community and say, okay, you have to do A, B, and C. Um, so it's really much more about process for us. And, and we feel really strongly that over the course of that process, people know what they need. You know, they're going to state the right things. We won't have to tell them that. So, you know, we're not agnostic. You know, we look at the situation and we could say, you know, yes, we need to do something about gang violence. Um, HIV is a big problem in this community. Gender-based violence. These are huge issues. We do the research. We can see that. But we find as soon as we enter the conversation, so can the community members, they're not blind. It's just a matter of how do we now do something about it? And that's where we feel like we have something to offer in terms of helping them, you know, develop those projects. Yeah. So you, you're serving as a, a bridge so people can connect and come together. Exactly. You know, I mean, we found that we would, you know, in that initial consultation phase and even to some extent ongoing, you know, we would ask teachers, what are the problems your kids are having? And the thing is though, you know, the teachers are usually not from the community themselves because they're obviously earning a lot more money than, you know, people in a community this poor. And so if, even if they were from the community, they've chosen to, you know, live elsewhere. So they can see the problems the kids are having, but they don't know how to connect them to support systems. And so that's where we add value to that. You know, if this is what's going on with your kids, this is who you talk to and having, you know, these touch points. So we meet, quarterly as a large group, and by large group, I mean sort of that full breadth of stakeholders we're talking about. So even just in that space, you know, it's teachers meeting the drug counselors and the local police officers and the local politicians and being able to say then, oh, okay, if this happens to one of my students, this is where I can refer them, you know, and it's the organizations working in, you know, gender-based violence who now get to speak to the organizations working in substance abuse. Um, because these things always, or not always, but very, very often overlap, you know, somebody who is abusive, you know, probably has, you know, is in need of psychological and mental health support. Um, somebody who's abusing substances probably often has that same need um, and, and so on. And so, you know, it's just really important that folks get to know each other. And we're finding that creating that ecosystem in and of itself is a value add. Amendola is all about creating connection and safe spaces, and Scott's going to explain just how they do that. Our starting point is actually usually data, you know, information about these kids and the community context. So one set of data that we gather, we call it our ready to learn survey. We conduct this annually amongst teenagers. Um, you know, it's a fully scientific survey. We get a, a random uh, sample from the community and ask them about just the challenges they're facing. So we saw a couple of consecutive years, you know, knowing that we have a high HIV rate, knowing we have a high pregnancy rate, it was very alarming to us to see that 60% of girls, 40% of boys said they did not know where to get family planning advice. Um, and then of those who did, more than a third said they were not willing to go to the formal clinics 
because when you're in a community this small, you know, you're afraid of being stigmatized that maybe you're HIV positive. You're afraid that the nurse will tell your mother that you're sexually active. So they weren't taking advantage of what would help them, you know, most obviously with these big problems. So our next port of call then is we talk to our organizational partners. We talk to some of these teenagers. Well, what services would you use? And they said, well, we're not going to the clinic, number one. We would go somewhere where it just wasn't obvious, you know, why we were going there. So we partnered up with a couple of organizations, one who had physical space, um, another that did HIV testing and counseling, and then you know, a couple of other layered services, um, you know, abuse counseling, a women and children's shelter, and sort of all in one space, we created what we call our safe space. So you can go there as a young person after school and get help with your maths homework. Um, we, we have tutoring, there's um, drama, dance, uh, also taking place, soccer, basketball. And then there's also a nurse, you know, on the grounds. Um, there are sexual violence counselors on the grounds. Um, then just young counselors, you know, we call them our peer group trainers, but basically they do everything from counseling sessions to just one-on-one -on -one chats to just keeping up with you and being a buddy. There's also a social worker um, and then, you know, access to the legal system. So it's, it's a little bit of a one-stop shop, you know, where some of the kids are honestly, they're just coming to do their homework and get access to the internet. But then they also know that they have all these other opportunities available to them. So as a result of that program that's been running for about four years now, we've increased the testing rate for HIV amongst youth from 10 to about 50%. Uh, we're aiming to increase that to 80%. Um, we've created support groups for those who are HIV positive. We've just started an LGBTQ support system uh, in the community that we're looking to expand tremendously. Um, and you know, we've seen a lot of students just get better grades because they're coming for the tutoring you know, after school. So we've had tremendous, tremendous results, uh, you know, from a program like that. And that's just an example of where all those things overlap. We're looking at the academic support, the personal support, um, the issues that come with HIV, you know, gender-based violence, there is substance abuse counseling also taking place um, and just trying to look at it holistically. So we provide the data, we provide the coordination, but then our partner organizations provide the direct services. And I love how you're using all of these different areas of a community, I feel to actually sort of break some generational cycles mm, that may be mm, occurring. No, 100%. I mean, and we've seen, as you talk about, you know, generational cycle, I mean, one of the key things, you know, about that space, when we say it, it's there to be safe, we really mean it. I mean, most of, as, as much as it's not legal to push a young woman out of school for falling pregnant, um, it happens. And that's more the norm you know, more often than not. Um, and we've seen over and over, you know, we, we have a teen mom's counseling session, but also just space for that, you know, your kid will be looked after while you come and do your homework or whatever. Um, and so we've gotten, you know, we've worked with a number of teen moms and getting them back into school um, because them dropping out, it's just, it would be the same cycle again for their kids because, you know, they would never find, you know, full-time work or they would really deeply struggle. Uh, I mean, our youth unemployment rate in Philippi is well over 40%. It, it's, it's, it, it would just be a, it would be a cycle. Um, and so by getting them back into school, helping them finish, you know, helping them find employment opportunities afterwards, you know, through our partners, we really do hope that we are breaking that cycle and creating new hope and new opportunities for their kids. What inspired you as, as founding director to 
to want to create something like this and to bring this community together? What was that inspiration for you? Yeah, so it was a couple of things. I mean, this particular community, it's, it, it, so, I mean, my family immigrated from the U.S., I'm sorry, to the U.S. from Jamaica. Um, you know, we struggled, you know, I mean, I hesitate sometimes to use the term poor or poverty because American poverty compared to poverty here, it's just, you know, they're in two different leagues. Um, but by American standards, you know, we were poor. Um, but, you know, my parents made sure that we got a quality education. Um, but it wasn't just them. That was kind of the key part. You know, our diaspora community really surrounded us and made sure we had what we needed. Um, because if it had been just our parents, I don't know that there would have been enough. I mean, there may have been, you know, my parents were awesome and they worked really hard, but, you know, there were just some key things that I can remember friends, you know, family friends from our immigrant community making sure that we had and that we were supported through. Um, and so, you know, when I progressed, you know, from, from that community into college and, and just seeing how rare that actually was, um, you know, I think I was a little bit naive that, you know, that's just the American dream that, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from, just work real hard, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you'll be fine. And the reality was, you know, amongst my peers, you know, in college, I was one of very few who went to a public school. Um, I was one of very few who came from a low income background. I mean, 5% of American families, something like that, send their kids to private school and something like 70% of Yale students <laughs> went to private school. Um, and so it just really opened my eyes to the fact that my story was not the norm and that's just not okay, you know? And then over the years going back home, you know, I saw so many of my friends who didn't make it out and who were trapped in a cycle um, only for lack of a few opportunities, not because they were any less intelligent, just luck, you know, basically. And so that just never sat well with me. You know, I just felt really strongly that over the years, I've been blessed with, you know, some success and some support that if anybody else had it, they could accomplish the same things, you know, that I had. So I just felt really strongly that I wanted to bring those opportunities into poor communities that maybe your family can't provide it, but if the systems and structures are there, you know, for you to take advantage of it, you know, you'd just be able to live an entirely different life. Um, you know, it, it really shouldn't just be dumb luck or getting that one incredible teacher that we see those great movies about. Um, you know, if we can systematize and create opportunities, we can just have a more prosperous society for everybody. Um, and then South Africa became the place because I just fell in love with this place. It reminded me a lot of Jamaica. Um, and, you know, it just seemed like as good a place as any to just try to solve this seemingly unsolvable issue of how do we educate poor children? because I'm not sure anybody does that well globally. You know, I mean, for all of the hand-wringing in the US every so often, you know, in a political campaign that like, oh, we're slipping and we're falling behind these countries. When you disaggregate for poverty, you know, the rich kids in the US are still number one. The rich kids everywhere are always at the top, but we just don't educate poor children well. And so my ultimate desire is to answer that question. You know, like, I mean, I think we can prove a lot here in South Africa, but I think we can answer a big question and get that knowledge everywhere, hopefully. And in educating or providing that education, you're realizing that it's not just that the, obviously there's an issue with opportunity, 
there's also an issue with the other things that you mentioned, like violence and HIV AIDS, like all of these things that can be further hindering for them. You're sort of addressing it holistically and not just these kids need to be in a classroom and to get this education. You're saying, yeah, but there's all these other things over here that we need to be looking at and that we need to be providing a safe space for. The way you describe it right there, I think, is is very important. That there's all these other things over here, but one of the things that I often come back to is over here is much bigger than the school part. I mean, you spend what seven hours in school a day, sometimes less, sometimes more, depending on the school system. Most of your day is outside school. Most of your life is outside school. And if we don't get that stuff right, nothing that happens inside school is likely to, you know, work out very well. Absolutely. Well, it's even the same as when you're an adult and you have whatever else is going on. So you're trying to sit there and do your work, but you're like, I can't focus on this because I've got a million other things going on. No, that's absolutely it. And so we're just recognizing that our kids are whole people. You know, we are all complex. We all have many sides to us. And if you're not healthy, if you're you know, being abused at home, if you're too hungry to concentrate, these are all things that are going to, you know, make learning really, really difficult. And these are all things that are just more likely to be difficulties in a context of poverty. How can we come alongside Amandala and support you and be a part of this work that you're doing? On the abstract side, I would say that, you know, we all need to engage complexity. And by that, I mean, you know, everything we've been talking about, how complex, how difficult it is, all the things happening in these kids' lives, you would be surprised how difficult it is for us to make that case, you know, as an organization that, you know, seeks out funding and support, because so many people are just like, well, that's different. You know, we've never done it that way. We just do tutoring after school and that's the thing, right? Or we offer scholarships or, you know, school feeding and those things are all important but our case has long been, we need all of those things, not just one or the other. And so I find that people just, they struggle to wrap their heads around that because they wanna support one organization, but if that organization doesn't do it all, well, how does this work? And so, you know, what we have going here is a pretty unique approach. And I feel like as more people say like, hey, actually, if we don't provide more holistic support to poor children, no, they're not gonna learn. They're gonna struggle in college if they don't know what to expect because they've never known anybody who's gone to college and all of that. You know, so the more people who get that and decide that their philanthropy is going to support organizations like Amandla, that they're going to spread the word about organizations like us because they're on board with that approach, the better off I think we're all going to be. Um, you know, so my encouragement is basically just for people to lean into that, learn about it, help us change the conversation. The conversation needs to fundamentally change. And that can happen on your campus. You know, that can happen in your philanthropy circle. It can even just come from some of what you're reading, you know, to learn up about that and just help us change the way nonprofit work happens. Because honestly, we want nothing less than that. Um, in terms of, you know, some more practical things, uh, you know, when the world becomes a more normal place and, and people can move around, come visit us, come volunteer with us. You know, we're, we're, we love that. Um, and I do feel like, you know, sometimes all of what we're talking about here can sound so just out there until you come see the community, meet one of the young people. But given that, you know, that's not as easy these days, you know, as we would like it to be, there are ways to get in touch with us and work with us even from afar. 
You know, I mean, we've, like I've mentioned, you know, maps tutoring before, something that happens in the safe space. We do even do some of that online, you know, via Zoom and that sort of thing. So if you're a maps whiz, you know, we have some young people who could use some tutoring. Um, we're trying to get entrepreneurship in initiatives started. Um, you know, we found, especially, you know, in the domestic violence uh, space, that that's extremely important. You know, it makes, you know, uh, a survivor a lot less likely uh, to go back to their abuser. Um, we've even been doing some virtual internships, you know, for college students. So there are definitely ways to engage with us from afar, engage us on social media, work with us. So, yeah, so the biggest thing I would say is just connect with us, engage, get in touch, because I'm sure we can find something. If you're curious about the real tangible impact of Amanda on their community, I'll leave you with this story. We had one school in the area that was just a failing school, you know, just plain and simple, graduating very few of its students, lots of gang violence and so forth. And over the course of three, four years of our mentorship program, being in the school and working with the young people and also supporting the teachers to not just be so demoralized by everything around them besides just the business of teaching, they two years ago and continue to do this graduated several of the top students in the country you know and i think that had more to do with them realizing they could you know that, that it's just so easy to be in this disempowered space where nothing around you seems to function and you just kind of say i'm going to put my head down and get through my day but you know not to say that you know we told them just to do better or anything like that, but just, hey, you can do this. You know, we're here with you, this can be done. And we've just seen huge change. And, you know, even kind of continuing in that same cycle, a couple of the mentors who were a part of that, you know, they're volunteers from the community uh, that we work with to mentor the young people to say, you know, again, we've done it, you can do it. A couple of them are now working for us, um, you know, several working for our partner organizations. And, you know, just getting a job in a space where 40, 50% of your peers have never worked. That right there, it just, it, it shows folks, hey, staying in school, giving back in my community, that can lead to work. And then I can provide for my family and we just make this whole place better. And so I think the thing that I've seen the most of over the past few years that's been the most inspiring has been that, you know, shift in mindset from, you know, when we first started, you know, in Philippi 10 years ago, and we'd say we can make improvements and we'd get a list of all the things wrong with this place and why that would never happen to now, you know, people are pushing us, let's do this quicker, let's do better, there's so much more we can do, because they've been inspired by their own achievements. That's, you know, why we do this work. And so we've got a long way to go. But I think that shift in mindset is the key thing that is going to get us, you know, across the finish line. To learn more about Amandala, you can go to amandaladevelopment.org. That's A-M-A-N-D-L-A, development.org. You can also connect with them on social channels, including Instagram, at amandaladevelopment. Don't worry, if you missed any of those links, you can go to our episode guide and check them all out there. If you've been listening to this podcast, you may have heard a common theme with many of the organizations and people that I speak with. What's that thing? Well, other than bits of good, safe spaces. What is a safe space? What does that even mean? Well, in the next episode, I'm going to unpack that. So stay tuned. And as always, thanks for listening.